Hey, welcome back to the Addicted to Healthy podcast, your one-stop destination for all things health and a kick-ass life. I'm Laurence, certified nutritional practitioner and health coach and the host of the Addicted to Healthy podcast. Today, I have Michael Collins on the podcast. He is the founder of SugarAddiction.com and the board chairman of Food Addiction Institute. He has been completely sugar-free for over 30 years. He has worked closely with others to help them overcome this. He's raised two children sugar-free, and his book has been rated number one in healthy living on Amazon. And he's also been in recovery from substance use disorder for over 34 years. So he has a lot of experience with this, and today we're gonna get into sugar and what it really can do to our health, how it can impact our health, and what we can do about it. So super excited to jump into this. So let's get started. All right, Mike. So I'm super excited to have you here today to talk all about sugar. But before we get started into kind of the nitty gritty stuff, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story because apparently you've been sugar free for 30 years now, over 30 years. Yep. So what exactly does that mean? Do you still eat fruit or are you eliminating, you know, like the added sugars from like pastries and things like that. What does that mean for you? That's a great question. One that's usually missed by folks. It's <laughs> a great, no, seriously, it's a very good question because a lot of people, there's a lot of varying definitions to that term, if you will. But for me now, and it's a, it, it's an evolutionary thing in a little bit of a way, but for 30 years, I haven't had any added sugar, no or any flour or any caffeine. I haven't had any anything, any bread, any pasta, any um, anything that would resemble a cookie, ice cream, soda, anything like that. No added sugars of any kind. But for many years, I did eat fruit um, and have fruit juice and ate grains. But about two and a half years ago, I tell you that story if you want. I gave up grains and fruit as well, or 99% gave up fruit. Um, and that's another story, and, and it has to do with the fructose more than anything, which is really part of, or maybe the main um, culprit in all of this, not the, not the glucose. And for your folks, you know, sugar is, table sugar is 50% glucose, 50% fructose. It's powdered, but it's another story, but it's all about the fructose in my mind, literally in my mind. I mean, in, in, in everyone's mind, but but uh, I don't know how much of my story you want to know. I mean, I, I got the I got the podcast version, uh, but I grew up as a regular kid, uh, like everyone else. I mean, uh, there's a great video by Eric Clapton that says uh, he was sitting in his Antigua treatment center, and Ed Bradley, 60 Minutes, says, "Ed or uh, Eric, this started with sugar or started with heroin, right? This addiction thing." And he says, "No, Ed, it started with sugar." And Ed says, "Sugar." And he said, yeah, I used to eat bread and butter sandwiches when I was six years old because it changed my state. And uh, we used to eat bread and butter sandwiches. <laughs> and we used to you know, have unfettered access to the sugar bowl. If we didn't have a half inch of sugar on the bottom of the bowl and we scraped the milk up, then we, uh, we didn't have enough sugar there. And, and soda and candy and everything else. And I loved it all. My mother was a sugar junkie. And I didn't realize, and I don't think anyone realizes, and this is now just coming to the fore, and I'll talk about it with the brain chemicals and the fructose, that it was, because it was completely free and almost uh, accessible to at any time of the day or night, um, I just used it like everyone else. And I got to be about 13 or 14, and, and 
it wasn't working as well for when you know girls and pimples and and school and high school and that kind of stuff so i started i found beer and uh, and then eventually drugs and and i got sober about 28 but the strange part about it is myself and a lot of other people basically as revert back to sugar and masses amounts of mass amounts of it i mean i had a lot of sugar Gained, gained some weight, a pretty thin athletic guy, and I gained a lot of weight, had pimples all over my face, rosacea, um, worse than when I was drinking. So I ended up uh, you know, trying to figure this part out. And I read a book called Sugar Blues, which your folks might like. It's uh, written in the 70s, updated in the 80s. And the gentleman was from, uh, I think he was from the, from the West here in uh, California, but he was in an event and he heard a voice from behind him. He said, I wouldn't have that stuff in my body, let alone my house. He was putting two lumps of sugar in his coffee. And he said, the voice was Gloria Swanson, the famous movie star. And she was really anti-sugar at the time. And he ends up marrying Gloria Swanson. And they made that book pretty popular in the 80s. And so I read that book and I just started to get into it and uh, eventually eliminated all sugars, flour, and caffeine and actually raised two children from the womb till they were about six years old, sugar-free. And they only had sugar once a month till they were um, for the rest of their childhood. So I didn't really get into, I had a normal life, a normal business career, uh, a lot of it online and that kind of thing and, and selling software and, and uh, information products. And about seven, about 10 years ago now, I bought the name sugaraddiction.com and I just started giving good information. And that really didn't help a lot of people, to be honest with you. It wasn't until about two or three years ago that I started coaching and having online groups, which really has now beget quite a few success stories on, on how to get off sugar. And I've come to know that it's really a very powerful psychoactive addiction. Um, so yeah, that's the short podcast version of how I got here. I mean, I so, can answer any questions. All that there usually brings up more questions than yes, answers. Yes, there are but. definitely a lot of questions now. But um, so, did you kind of go into the sugar-free diet because of health concerns that you had, or was this because you were learning things about it and you decided to give it a try? For me, it's always been health. Um, again, there wasn't a huge weight issue with me. Uh, it was always health and wellness. And then most recently, like in the last five years, it's been more, my resolve has tripled or quadrupled or because of the understanding of what the fructose and does to the, all the reward centers in the brain. So it's been physical health and I would say 95 plus or 98% of educators, health coaches and uh, diet for people that write diet books and nutritionists or whatever talk about the glucose and the heart disease and the kidney and the um, diabetes and that, that weight gain all that but in my mind that coming from an addictive addiction recovery and addiction background I believe it's all now in the brain reward centers and that's the reason people can't get off of it so it's evolved over time but yeah it started out as health and how have, has this transformed your health? What kind of, what are the big kind of transformations that you've seen or the changes for you? Well, I mean, you know, I mean, 
I've, you know, I've basically kept this. Everyone in my family is overweight, pretty much. Uh, both my parents were overweight, obese. Both of them are, you know, quartering on obesity. And uh, now all my younger brothers, none of my younger brothers have any teeth. In other words, they don't have, they all have dentures of some sort. Some of them have a few of their regular teeth left. My mother had no teeth. Um, and, you know, I'm over 60 and I'm, you know, thin as a rail and, and have, uh, you know, all my teeth. And it's I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good sign. I mean, we're talking, this is not genetics is what I'm trying to tell you. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, and what, you know, what, what I found moreover for, you know, than myself is like it, uh, the success stories of people who actually adopt ab abstinence um, in our groups. Uh, they fall to a normal body, a right size body for them with almost no effort and no exercise once they eliminate processed carbs. And we've had every story in the book, re reduction of every type of med, um, diabetes medicine, literally, literal curing of diabetes too. Uh, we've had everything that you can even think of um, happen as a result of abstinence from sugar and flour. And so you're talking about fructose and glucose. Can you maybe touch a little bit on like the difference and how they act differently in the body? Yeah, absolutely. And it's a great question. And thank you because a lot of people don't ask it or focus on it. Um, and I've started to steer the conversation that way. And that, um, well, first of all, let's, let's look at table sugar and, and processed sugar it's in the same way that we would look at heroin or cocaine that's versus process and nature you know the indians used to chew the coca leaves and i'm sure that's not probably the best thing in the world <laughs> but it, the difference between that and you know processed cocaine is very different and so it's very different but that said fructose the molecule of the table sugar is 50 percent fructose 50 percent glucose and we need glucose to live we need it you know for the brain and everything but that's not necessarily the glucose in a processed form and powdered form but when it comes to fructose, it, the, the science comes out every single day now, and it's really crazy the amount of studies that are coming out every day, that fructose uh, affects the reward systems in the brain. And we've all heard this kind of, I don't know if the people think of it as an urban myth, um, that sugar is, more, is as addictive as cocaine table sugar is addictive. And the reason that that myth exists is because of MRI studies. When you put, uh, when you study people's brain on cocaine and on sugar and rats um, and whatever, the difference is, is identical. I mean, people that are ingesting large amounts of fructose light up the same reward centers as people ingesting cocaine. And so that kind of study that kind of information and my background and my experience now with thousands of people online hundreds of people in person is that the reason people can't quit has nothing to do with the glucose yeah it's a nice thing and it, and it you know fuels the body with a little bump in energy but the reason they can't quit is because they have used fructose to change the way that they feel in the reward centers and dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, GABA, uh, even adrenals and the big daddy of them all, oxytocin, have changed that as literally they can manually manipulate these pleasures and reward centers in the brain 
with a ubiquitous damn near free drug and they've done it unconsciously for years and society accepts it and you're able to give it to a one-year-old. And that's the problem. That's the main problem. And when people actually journal it out, when they understand that they need to read, there's a great saying in the world of drug and alcohol recovery that says very simply is that you stopped growing emotionally when you started using drugs. And so if you're 14, 15, 16 years old, and you started uh, drinking beer, smoking pot, and, and went on or whatever, you basically stopped growing emotionally. And people are very hesitant to accept this idea that this happened to them literally in the womb and moving forward, that they have been able to play with, manage, uh, manipulate their feelings and their emotions through a substance that's almost free and that they, comp, you know, society accepts it and that the way out is that same path to understand that that is happening to you, if, that you, if you don't, aren't aware of it, then you will continue, you know, the recidivism rates, you've seen it many times, it's 95% plus of people who lose any amount of weight uh, from you know, 10 to 100 or 200 pounds, 95% of folks gain it all back and then some in the first year. This is lore. This is like famous in all the scientific literature. And the reason that is, is because of exactly what I'm talking about. They, people do not understand or put two and two together and understand that their feelings and their emotions are involved. And when that happens and when that tumbler in the lock clicks and people understand that part, and they, they start to have emotional, and they start to um, emotional feelings or things around their life or things that go back in their life that they never processed out. Those things, when they start to understand that, then they get well, then they change. And then, they, you know, weight, which is the reason a lot of people come to us, comes off like magic. They start to realize instead of reaching for this product, they have to go to yoga. They have to call a friend. They have to get a massage. They have to go for a walk. They have to do some other emotional management tool and then integrate that into their life um, so that they can uh, substitute what they have been using since they were babies. I know that's a little, little around the robin, can, um, but that's basically it right there in a nutshell. Well, I love that you mentioned the emotional management part. I would definitely love to get into that a little bit more because I think that's really important. Okay. But first of all, I want to get into a little bit of like the foods that we're consuming now, specifically like these processed foods, high fructose corn syrup, and all of these foods that the industry knows is, you know, addictive, as you mentioned, and yeah. people just need more and more and more. Mm -hmm. um, could you kind of explain that how sort of like what these kinds of foods are so what kind of foods are supplying us with the most amount of sugar even things that we might not even think about and how we how they kind of work in terms of like we just keep reaching for it like we can't get enough of it so it keeps yeah. on basically releasing these chemicals in our brain etc can you kind of talk a little bit about that yeah, I mean, if you look at the uh, high fructose corn syrup, which again, if you kind of, if you want to break this down, if you really want to study it, don't study sugar, study fructose, right? Study its effects on the brain. There's actually diseases called fructose malabsorption, uh, fructose intolerance, right? You have tests for them. You can buy them on Amazon, right? This, this, this malady, this disease has been around for a while. 
but I even think that's managed improperly. Um, so people have known a little bit that fructose is upsetting to the human system, but I don't think they know why, or I mean, they, they know it to the physical system in that regard, but when you look at the um, obesity rates and you track them into the set late 70s and early 80s, you can see that it literally runs parallel to the amount of fructose that the societies, the society, well, societies now around the world, but society has been ingesting, they run parallel, they, they go up and to the right. And so that high fructose corn syrup, which is in dang near everything, and 80 plus percent of process of foods in a bag or a box or a can in the grocery store contains sugar or fructose, added sugar or fructose, it's, it's the creation of a perfect storm, right? And everything in ketchup, it's kind of ridiculous, the ketchup of every kind of food, every soup, every salad dressing has sugar in it now because the food scientists on the other side of the, the, the game, if you will, understand that this brings people back to the product or want them to, allows them or has them use more of the product. They understand that it, that it lights up their brain chemicals and dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, oxytocin, those kinds of things. And it's everywhere. And that's the hard part about all this. Abstinence or re recovery looks and is a little bit difficult because of the eternal vigilance necessary to always make sure you're getting whole foods, right? So that's hard work. And I, I don't, I try not to, I, I'm coming up with another word I promise, sugarcoat it, but you know, it's like I try not to sugarcoat it for folks because they, they need to know where they're, what's going to happen when they attempt this. And when they attempt it, they're going to have actual physical, emotional withdrawals. I mean, everybody's been through it, the night sweats and the headaches and the irritability and the, um, you know, and they just can't. Days three and four, you're almost incapacitated. So, yeah, I mean, it's everywhere. It's, it's almost impossible without awareness and a tribe of people that are doing it with you so you don't feel alone to actually navigate this, this little, um, this, this juggernaut, you know, this uh, maze of getting out of it. Yeah, so of course, being aware of, you know, the ingredients, the nutrition label, but then the easiest way is to really just choose foods without an ingredient label, right, that are whole food based. A hundred percent. I mean, you really just have to shop on the outside of the grocery store with veggies and, and meats and seafoods and that kind of stuff. And, and avoid the food. checkout aisle. <laughs> yeah, avoid the checkout aisle and, and the interior aisles, which have all the bags and boxes and processed stuff. And so, of course, we know that, you know, sugar makes us fat, quote unquote, like that's kind of the fear of people now. They yeah. know that it's kind of, you know, contributing to the obesity epidemic. But what about the other effects, specifically like long term? Um, how does sugar specifically, you know, processed refined sugars wreak havoc on the body? And what does that really implicate in terms of, you know, long term health? Well, I mean, I think the, uh, the science is there for the body. In other words, diabetes and um, heart disease. And one of the most telling um, studies or, or uh, pairings or cooperations that just came out, it's like only about a month now or a month and a half, from the American Heart Association, American Pediatric Dental Association, American Association of Pediatric uh, Physicians. I always forget the fourth one, but four major 
groups band together, made an announcement to the to the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, which is the largest, one of the largest nonprofits in the world, um, and they created a website and everything, saying that babies should not have any sugary drinks from zero to five, right? And because they're starting to now, science and, and, and physicians are you know, accepting that it causes the long-term uh, diseases of diabetes and heart disease and heart disease and uh, you know, uh, lung disease and all kinds of different things in the body. But for me, as I mentioned earlier, I'm really focusing now on the Dr. Perlmers and, and these other, uh, with Grain Brain, and now he has a brain wash book coming out things that are affecting the brain, right? Also, they're calling diabetes uh, two, or they're calling Alzheimer's diabetes three, right? And because the prevalence of people that manifest uh, Alzheimer's with diabetes two is so much higher, like insanely higher. And so it's that brain connection that's scaring me and, and moving me towards, it moved me personally off the fructose completely. Um, so yeah, I mean it's the diseases, and and I want to I want to preface this in that there has to be a little bit of believer in you. There has to be a little bit of pioneer in you. There has to be a little bit of do your own research in you because there's a group of people who make their living selling processed foods, and they have obfuscated the research out there, both for the body and the brain. Uh, and they have doctors and scientists and studies that say, you know, a small amount of sugar is not going to hurt anyone kind of thing. Um, but I just see it, the, the tipping point coming where um, I actually personally believe every, almost every known malady out there is created by this perfect storm of flour, sugar, and caffeine. It's, I think it's, um, I think we, we can't diagnostically say that you know, this looks like a basal cell carcinoma, or this looks like a, the diagnostics are not there 100%, but the both anecdotal evidence and the, the evidence of people who have been spontaneously healed by abstinence from sugar is absolutely there. And, you know, we have hundreds of people in our groups that have walked away from diabetes medications who are now no longer a pre-diabetic or they no longer have diabetes too. And to have that happen simply by the cessation of sugar in their life, you know, yeah, is it diagnostically, is there enough proof yet? Not yet, but there is enough um, evidence pointing in that direction and that's the way, we're, you know, that's the way it's all headed. And what are your, what's your opinion on sugar-free products like Diet Coke and people going for like, you know, those kinds of pop or other processed foods that are sugar-free, quote-unquote, but they have things like aspartame and other artificial sweeteners. Is that yeah. better? <laughs> well, I have an answer for that. It's not probably good in mixed company or a podcast, but <laughs> it's, uh, well, mental masturbation is what it is, really. And, and what it is, really, is like um, the... Um, the body doesn't know the difference, right? When the body gets this hit of sweet, um, it's, it just really, it, it sets up cravings, right? Mentally, it remembers, the body remembers. A great book out there called The Body Remembers. Yeah, The Body Remembers. And it's all about the, 
you know, the evolution of our emotions and how substances keep them down and how our body processes things out. And what we've experienced, this is, you know, hands-on, hundreds of people, uh, thousands online that have said that aspartame and stevia and all of these fake sugars lead them back to the real thing, make, set up cravings for the real thing. What they, in my opinion, they're, they're, it's a, it's a, they're chemical experiments that we don't have all the details of yet. And there's always been, those have been being fought over the years by everyone. No one knows what they do to your body. But what we know they do to your body is lead you back and your brain, lead you back to the original sugar itself and sugar products. So I'm not a fan at all of any of it. I think, I think we have to, I call this adulting <laughs> in some level. It's like enough already, like drink water, please. It's, you know, this, this quest for some type of sweetness. Think about evolution and we can get into the sugar part, but think about how often our ancestors got something sweet, right? Honey, which was a very dangerous thing to get <laughs> once a year, um, and little bits of berries, a crab apple that looks like nothing compared to the apple that is of today, the banana that looks nothing like the banana, once a year for you know a week or two week period. That's how much fructose the body was meant to have, okay, and how much sweetness we were meant to have, and. This th last 300 years of the evolution of sugar into our lives and the evolution even of fructose bombs in the form of fruit that's been hybridized to taste sweet or hybridized for fructose um, has changed, you know, what, you know, this period of 300 years is about two seconds in our evolutionary history of what our bodies developed to handle. And I say handle, I really mean handle mentally and physically when it comes to fructose. So, yeah, I'm, here's what I ask people to just do. Like if I told you not to eat steak for 30 days or broccoli if you're vegetarian or whatever, whatever your favorite vegetable or favorite seafood or meat was, you'd be all oh, darn and you wouldn't like it. But you wouldn't have any withdrawals and you wouldn't have any of these emotional things that we're talking about. You would just go 90 days without the product. Right. And so if you were to go to an allergist and the allergist did these scratch tests all the way down your back and said you're allergic to pollen and grass and grass seed and all sorts of stuff, you'd stop getting near that stuff or you'd stop using it. All I'm asking folks is to do an allergy scratch test on themselves. No flour, no sugar. And if you can do it, no caffeine. Not everyone can do that. But uh, for 90 days and see how you feel. See what changes in your life. Go back to the dentist, get some tests, right? I mean, the, the doctor, get some tests. And see if after 90 days of 100% abstinence from flour and sugar products, which is not gonna kill anybody, they just have you know, regular food. Um, and see, A, watch and journal out what happened during the first 30 days for sure, but the whole thing, how you felt emotionally. And then see in, 90, in the 91st day if you wanna go back. I've never, ever, ever had anyone go back, ever. Not well, 100, batting 100%.
of anyone who actually made it for 90 days and then had to make the decision whether they wanted to add something back in, you know? So it's a real adulting kind of uh, test you can do on yourself. So anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. I do get on, I do get on it occasionally. So I think everybody knows now that, you know, sugar is bad, blah, 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 we should cut down on sugar, all of that. But it's really about the how, right? So we have the education now, we have like Google, we have all of these things, but the hardest part is the how. So yep. is it as simple as not eating the food? Um, can we just eat like, I think you were talking a little bit how some people may just have a little bit of these kinds of sugars, but it still has this effect on you, right? And it still stimulates these cravings. Yeah. So how do you kind of go about this? Do you just tell people cold turkey, that's it? And then do you also work on the emotional side of things or how do how does this work? No, that's a good question. Thank you. Um, it's the first, <laughs> the first question everybody always asks is, do I have to do this for the rest of my life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's I just this, <laughs> this huge fear that they will be deprived of something, right? And like I say, well, you can take the 90 day test and see if you feel deprived on day 91. But the answer to your question is, it's a bear sometimes. The physical withdrawals are real they're painful they're a pain in the you know i mean it, it, it's hard to work it's hard to think it's hard to raise kids it's hard to do a lot of things in the first uh, three to ten days especially someone who has a large habit who's uh, 100 pounds at overweight who has a, a lot of who has really used this product as food for so many years that even adjusting their, um, you know, their, their, their diet or their, you know, the way that their body reacts to real food, uh, which is first of all withdrawals. And then, you know, what you asked, is it physical? Is it emotional? It's all of the above. And what we have is we have to have a tribe. We have to have a group of people who is interested in, uh, moving in the same direction with you because 99% of the population will never, ever, not yet, understand the concept of abstinence versus moderation, which is where everybody seems to fall down. And every diet and every intuitive eating and every, even nutritionists and people on the other side of where we are, which is the um, some of the treatment centers that treat people for food addiction or food maladies or whatever, believe that moderation is a possibility. For one third of the folks, and this has been studied pretty extensively, uh, they are biochemically addicted to this product. And when they eat it, they crave more and they want more and they just keep eating more. And then there's a third of people who can kind of go either way. They may have have a problem with it. Um, and they have, may have put what I call pushed it on themselves by just basically adhering to societal norms. And then there's one third that we all hate, <laughs> that those folks, they can take it or leave it. You know, they're like a non-alcoholic person who can have one drink and just put it down. They can just have half a cookie and you're like, why, are you, how can you possibly eat half a cookie, Kennedy? And those, and those numbers mirror and model the uh, obesity rates where one third obese, two thirds um, overweight, and one third normal. Now that's not to say that 
regular body size folks, right size body folks, cannot be sugar addicts because they absolutely can be. We had a lot of athletes who never had any weight problems who were insane sugar addicts. I mean, they just couldn't put the stuff down, but they worked it. They worked it off, and they never had any physical manifestations. But they're afraid of uh, the brain fog and all that kind of stuff. So it's a real difficult. I, I want to be honest about this because it helps when they finally arrive at my doorstep. <laughs> like, it's a real bear at the beginning, the first 30 days. It's mostly physical. But after 30 days, a mental game of emotional rewiring of your brain starts. And in order to do that right, you've got to be vigilant. Most of our recidivism, most of our, we call retreads, the people that come back, start with this analogy or this description of what happened. I just thought I could have one. I just thought I could go to my niece's birthday party. I just thought I could just have one slice at the wedding. And then they're literally sometimes gone for months or years even and 100 pounds overweight. So yeah, it's uh, there are protocols now simply because of pattern recognition. I don't know what's up, something's happening. You have a wind going. Um, uh, some kind of, uh, after pattern recognition of hundreds of people, we know where things hit, when you get the most emotional, when you need the most support, all that kind of stuff. That's that's worked its way out. So we do know now, um, you know, the, the steps, the protocol to take to get out if people are willing. Um, but it's uh, it's not easy. I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's not easy. What are the most common kind of withdrawal symptoms that you see, especially in the first like two weeks or so? Um, nausea, irritability, physical depression is the probably one people is the most confusing to people because they think that maybe there's something wrong with them or whatever. But this physical depression is truly your, it's called your dopamine and all the other receptors have been down-regulated. Um, and they're, when they have no manual physical manipulation going on, and this is not scientific by any means, but they are healing up and they're coming back online and they're reordering themselves uh, so that eventually uh, they can act normally, right? And when they've been down-regulated, it takes time for them to come up. It means you have less receptors means you uh, need to physically heal up and rewire your brain. And so those are the hardest ones. There is, like I said, <clears throat> excuse me, nausea and uh, irritability and night sweats is something people really mistake for something else, uh, either menopause or whatever. But really night sweats happens with people who kind of binge and purge too. They'll, they'll have a lot one day and not a lot the next and they'll, they'll sweat one night and not sweat the next. They'll think the room's too hot. Well, that goes away 100%. Night sweats is basically sugar withdrawals. And I've got hundreds of stories of that, including personally and my kids. So um, night sweats is one of them. But I think the most important ones are the emotional ones, that irritability, that feeling of impending doom right? Your life is the same as it was when you were eating sugar and it was kind of normal. You just hated the sugar. But now you feel like the world is over and, and your life is over. And, it's, and that's really simply um, the, your brain chemicals reordering themselves, rewiring themselves, getting new ways to handle stress. Life's beginning, the stress that is older, that you never, like your boyfriend broke up with you when you were 16 years old and 
you and your friends had a big giant ice cream cake party, that processing of the boyfriend's hurt and pain never happened. And the, the woo-woo part of this that people really can't feel and they really can't understand is how in hell's name, I'm 45 years old, I'm 50, how can I be feeling something that I didn't feel 30 years ago, 25 years ago? But that's very real, right? And add to that, that the idea that, you know, the boss is mad, the kids are yelling, screaming, and you can't use this product to emotionally soothe yourself anymore. You have to figure out other ways to do it. Now you're having um, a double win. You're having a double hit of how to get out of this thing, you know, uh, the, how hard it is, right? So, yeah, there's a lot of symptoms, and mostly I say emotional and mental that are the people mistake for some other malady and they run off to the doctor and get an antidepressant yeah that's the the part where it's the hardest right and the easiest kind right. of the easiest moment to kind of relapse and just go back to the sugar but that's where like the big work has to be done and that's where obviously you're talking about the emotional support we really have to like tackle that head-on because if we don't tackle that then we're just going to look for other substances for comfort soothing etc are there any like strategies that you use, whether it's nutrition, emotional, whatever, um, to kind of help minimize those withdrawal symptoms? Or is there anything that you see that's helpful? Yeah, for sure. And I think the one that people mistake its use for is the exercise part. Mm -hmm. um, people think of it as calorie burning or that they're burning off pounds or what have you. But they overdo it, injure themselves, do, you know, because they're trying, because you can't outrun a bad diet. You know that. That, mm -hmm. but they, they still try and so what I suggest is you can literally walk yourself out of this you can walk yourself out of this by and and if walking is not your thing yoga swimming there's a million different things um, but to use it to think of it as when the emotions or when the irritability or when the depression or when the um, volatile emotions happen to have the strategy in place in advance um, because if you just start walking that day, three days in, five days in, you're not going to, you know, it's not going to work. You're just not going to understand it. But if you uh, have it ready in advance and you're, you like walking or you like swimming or you like yoga or you like this uh, racquetball, whatever it is, um, and that, you know, you had a tough day at work and you don't want to stop at the 7-Eleven, you stop at the racquetball court, then, you know, that substitution of emotional um, management is the key right and and the it's proven fact you know runner's high and it really does help reorder your 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 dopamine serotonin and all the others and so that's a really important part of the, the equation but not for what people think to burn calories um, and there's some amino acids uh, and just now becoming accepting of um you know l-tyrosines and that kind of stuff some of them you know you can't have it when you're pregnant or when you're doing ssris or whatever but um there's i'm becoming more accepting of that regimen um but with the goal of being abstinent i just don't think you should be taking even aminos over long periods of time and playing with your brain chemistry like a mad scientist, because I don't see it that much different than sugar. But there's a lot of positive um, results now of getting people through the early stages and helping their brain chemicals uh, a little bit quicker.
quicker with the amino acids of all kinds. So we're getting to the end of the podcast, but I feel like we could keep going and going. But I would love for you to talk a little bit about um, anything that you're doing right now or anything you'd like to share, as well as where we can find you online. Yeah, a lot of the exciting stuff is uh, we have a, uh, a summit every year at Quit Sugar Summit. Uh, we interview the biggest in the world. Um, yeah, you can leave your email there. Follow, <clears throat> follow us and we'll send stuff out to you and you can send it to your folks. But um, yeah, those folks are uh, like Robert Lustig and Gary Tobbs. I mean, the biggest of the big, we, we've had them all, Tim Noakes and, you know, and we interview them. These are the guys that are actually doing the research, doing the science and we interview them and, and it helps folks understand that this isn't happening in a vacuum, that there are people working it. And another thing that's exciting that we're doing is uh, sugar-free kids. We have a group on Facebook and just, just now getting started, but it's been the fastest growing thing we've ever done where people want to, you know, raise kids that are at least have limited or cut back on sugar. And, you know, you can reach me at sugaraddiction.com. I have a book on Amazon, which will be on my site too, that you can download for free. Uh, it's called the last resort sugar detox. Um, and it's free in the United States, and I think 99 cents everywhere else. But And you can get a, a hard copy, but the download's free. And like I said, sugaraddiction.com, if you, if we've got quizzes there and little, you know, a lot, of, a lot of blog, a lot of posts, a lot of information there that they can read up and, and see if they see themselves. I always like to tell folks, if you make your way to sugaraddiction.com, you probably don't need to take the quiz. Um, so yeah, it's uh, we're out there. I mean, just Mike Collins, Sugar Addiction on Google, you'll find us. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Mike. I will be sure to put all the links you talked about in the show notes so we can check you out. And thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your time today. That was super informative, and I'm sure that this will be really helpful for so many listeners. So thank you so much. Well, I want to thank you. You're like a little bit more advanced than some of the health podcasts I've been on. You're kind of, yeah, I really appreciate that. Oh, well, thank you. I really there. try to get the information out there. So I love bringing people on like you to talk a little bit more about what's going on and what we can do about it. So very, very appreciative good. of you coming on. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you loved it. And if you do, I always appreciate a review and rating on iTunes. It really does help me reach more people and spread my message. So it really only takes like 30 seconds. Super easy to do. Just Google it if you don't know how. And if you guys have any questions, you can reach me by my email in the show notes, info at laurentinez.com. Otherwise, I'm always on Instagram. Happy to hang out with you guys. Share what you guys thought about the episode. Answer your questions whatever it is and if you do have any questions or you want to hear from something specific or different topics don't hesitate out I'm always looking for you know new guests and different topics to talk to you about it's really about you so I really want to know what you want to hear otherwise thanks again for all your support I really appreciate you guys tuning in and I will chat to you guys next week